and during some of the toughest times I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time even to this moment uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is you're transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are gonna have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now, let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us for another great episode today. But before we get to today's guest, I wanted to let you know how you might be able to help us out here at the podcast. So thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. I also am excited to share that my new book is now available for pre-order. Shift Your Mind breaks down nine mental shifts to help you thrive in preparation and performance. If you have heard me talk about shifting your mind and preparation and performance on this podcast. If you've listened to our past interviews, you probably hear me reference it with a lot of our guests. It took me about four years to write this book, and I'm extremely excited to share it with you. If you are interested in pre-ordering the book for yourself, you can do so at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, and really wherever you get your books. Also, if you are interested in buying book orders of at least 20 or more copies, We've created a special offer that includes a shout out on this podcast, an hour long Zoom call with yours truly to discuss the book with whoever you choose and a mention on social media. We hope the book can help you and your team thrive. To learn more about the book, you can go to strongskills.co slash book. That's strongskills.co slash book. Now we are going to get to our shout outs. First one goes to Brian Deutsch. Thanks for buying 20 copies. Uh, Really appreciate it from Brian. Next goes to Paul the Sixth Men's Basketball. I worked with PVI, as they're known, for eight years and continue to be involved with their program. Thanks to Coach Glenn Ferrello for buying it for his entire program, which is over 60 books. Just really grateful for his support. And lastly, we want to give a big shout out to Leslie Friedson and the Friedson Group. They are with Compass. And my cousin, Matt Rosenblatt, actually works with Leslie and helped me sell my house. So Matt is awesome at what he does. Leslie helped Matt along the way as well and helped us sell our house. Can't recommend them enough. If you are in the Washington, D.C. area, check out the Friedson Group with Compass. Now to today's guest. Tori Huster is a professional soccer player with the Washington Spirit. And you're going to find out real quick that she is a competitor and she has leveraged that competitive spirit to become an amazing professional soccer player. And she's also going to talk about some of the downsides that come with 
being ultra competitive and some of the challenges she's faced internally on her own mindset and thinking about the game of soccer, which she's dedicated her life to. So Tori's going to chat about her mindset when she's between the lines, how she's thought about preparing and performing, what it's like to be a captain and a leader. And she's going to share her journey and she's going to get really personal and share her upbringing and a lot of the elements that have gone into her becoming a a great athlete and, and a highly competitive soccer player at the professional level. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you, Tori Huster. Tori, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We're going to have to give a, a big shout out to Stu Singer, who is the one that connected us. We were both fortunate to be on a call with a bunch of other people in the sports industry, athletes, coaches, et cetera. And Stu brought together amazing people who I think the wisdom in the room was what floored me. You, you and I have both been around high performers, but high performance and maximizing potential doesn't always equate to wisdom. And so to see all of these high performers that are into maxing out their potential, but also being intentional and thoughtful and mindful around how they're doing it was pretty next level. So shout out to Stu who's been on the podcast before and is somebody that I've enjoyed chatting with over the years. And um, during that call, I was really interested as you sort of were vulnerable about your own journey and uh, some of the challenges along the way. And so I'm excited to learn more about those and dive deeper in a one-on-one uh, scenario and situation that we're going to do today. I'd love to start by getting a sense of what life was like for you as a kid and, and take me back to childhood and, and what, what life was like for you as you were growing up. I was honestly pretty sheltered. I um, grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, lived on a cul-de-sac in the suburbs and um, started playing sports from probably the moment I could walk, honestly. Um, My family is huge into sports. I have coaching in my genes as well. Uh, My grandfather was a coach. My dad was, was my coach and a coach of other teams. He played sports, a a number of different sports. Um, And uh, honestly, like I can't complain. I can't complain about my childhood at all. Um, That being said, my dad was pretty hard on me when I was growing up. Um, He wanted me to excel and he wanted me to work hard and he wanted me to understand what work ethic looked like, whether I had the talent or not. Um, And I think when I kind of uh, try to understand, you know, what that was and where that came from. Um, he went to an all, all boys Catholic high school. Um, he played for Jerry Faust, who was a coach at Notre Dame, um, a football coach. And I, the stories that he tells from, uh, from his high school days um, were interesting, to say the least. Um, so I can understand where he was coming from when he, you know, wanted, wanted to push me and wanted to, when I decided that I wanted to be a professional athlete and that sports were going to be a huge part of my life, even early on, um, he wanted to help get me there. And um, I have had the support of my family for the entirety of my, of my soccer career and even the other sports that I played. Um, obviously through school and everything too, always have their, their love and support. But, um, he was a, he was a big factor in, uh, where I am today. Do you have siblings? I do. I have a younger sister. Um, she is seven years younger than me. So growing up, we were always 
a little bit too far away from each other to age age wise um, to really have a, a great relationship. And that was probably more on me. I think I was very um, one dimensional when I was younger. And as we got older and we and she actually picked up soccer, too, probably because I was playing. Um, but she fell in love with the sport too. She played in college. And I think when she was in college, she came and stayed with me in DC, one of my first, uh, first seasons here in DC. And honestly, she is, that is probably the blossoming of our, our friendship. Um, she is my sister by blood, but she is my best friend as well. And um, I think we understand each other, not only from the family perspective, but also through everything that we have been through on a personal level. And um, she, you know, my dad was pretty hard on her too. And I think we, <laughs> we bonded over that. And um, she is just, I, I have nothing but good things to say about my sister. <laughs> Love well, it's, it's interesting because when you're 17, she's 10. When you're 18, she's 11. When you're going off to college, she's 12. Did it feel like you were an only child for a lot of your life as it related to soccer and your relationship with dad and his focus on you? And then I'm curious if he then, it sounds like he would then maybe shift his focus to, to your sister as well. Um, is that what it felt like? Like the, the focus was laser sharp on you and um, the intensity of that? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting. I, we have actually spoken about that. Um, the, the fact that I was an only child for seven years of my life. And I think in that developmental stage, um, I think I kind of adopted the mindset that I was an only child. Um, so uh, while all of the focus and, um, energy was put towards me in those first seven years, I think because it was just my sister and I, and then my parents could kind of divvy up the responsibility. They could play, you know, a man to man for lack of a better term, um, for both of us. I, I still got a lot of focus. Um, so as I started to progress my, you know, into travel soccer, um, I was still able to have someone constantly there driving me to track to practice, um, taking me to away tournaments. Um, and I think then when I left for school was the first time I kind of had freedom to make my own decisions. And then my sister then got even more of the focus when I had left. Um, so we've talked about that a little bit, how that kind of uh, transitioned throughout both of our childhood, um, careers, but it, it definitely, it was, it was interesting. I think because in the moment of when we, when we were children or when I was in high school and she was in grade school, we wouldn't have had the vocabulary to be able to talk about, um, the things that were transpiring. Um, but then talking about it later, uh, from more of like a, neutral third party perspective, I think is, is really interesting. And it's kind of shaped who we are now and kind of our worldview as well. Um, while still trying to expand that worldview and not be, um, so locked into what our childhood kind of looked like. You mentioned one dimensional and now you're saying locked in versus a worldview. So it sounds like 
if I'm hearing you right, one dimensional on maximizing your ability to be a soccer player, but you also said you were playing other sports. What other sports were you playing and how long did you continue to diversify as far as it related to your athletic experience? I played um, softball, baseball um, through grade school, and then also played volleyball through grade school. I continued playing basketball. I played uh, AAU basketball and also basketball for my high school um, till my sophomore year in high school. Um, and it came down to my dad was my basketball coach. So, and I, I loved basketball, um, but I wasn't in love with basketball. I didn't want to go out and train as much as I, as I did with soccer. Um, it didn't come, not that it didn't come naturally to me, but my love for the game, it didn't come as naturally. Um, I liked that I was able to relate with my dad through, through the game, through basketball. Um, but I believe my sophomore year, I had just finished my soccer season for my high school and I was getting ready. I had missed tryouts for basketball, but they were just going to put me on JV. And, um, it was, I think it was maybe a day before I was supposed to go to my first training session or my first practice. And, um, I just remember thinking, um, having ended my soccer season, all I wanted to do I wasn't even burnt out from soccer. I, I, I wanted to continue training um, and just wanted a ball at my feet. And we had actually lost in the state championship. So I was heartbroken as well. Um, but I just wanted to play soccer and thinking about that when I was having to go to a basketball practice, I, you know, I just, it clicked. I had to, um, I had to put all my focus and energy into soccer by that point. Um, I was ready to do that having that conversation with my dad, I was pretty nervous about, um, but he was supportive and, you know, just kind of had to redirect my focus and attention into just soccer and kind of transition to this one sport individual, which I wasn't necessarily, uh, it was, it was going to be new for me. Um, but it was, it was better for me, I think. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned dad went to Catholic school was, faith a big part of your upbringing? Yes. I also went to an all-girls Catholic school. Um, Cincinnati is kind of known for for just that. Uh, there are several um, there are several all-girls and all-boys Catholic high schools. There's a few co-ed ones, and obviously there's public schools too, but um, it's funny whenever you go back or you, you meet someone from Cincinnati, they always ask you where you went to high school, and that is how you are defined. <laughs> And and how about faith? Did faith was faith a big deal in the house? Yeah, definitely. Um, I believe, you know, I, I mean, my mom and my dad are one of nine and one of ten. Um, big Catholic families. Uh, still, you know, now I would say I'm more um, of a non-denominational. I, I I believe that there is a God. Um, I am not as strict uh, in religion as. Catholicism is. Um, but, you know, I've met Catholics over the years that are my generation, and we share some of the same sentiments. So um, it's definitely a part of who I am. And uh, my morals and values were shaped because of Catholicism. Um, but I don't think it's something that I would define myself with now. What are some of those values? Um, I definitely think 
I mean, the big one that comes to mind is treating people equally, um, no matter what they look like. Um, I know that I, (laughs) we talk about everything that's going on right now, and I know that I am privileged in so many different ways. Um, But I think coming into contact, having the, you know, privilege to have traveled to a lot of different parts of the world, meeting up with a lot of different people, playing with different people from different countries. Um, I think it only emphasized that soccer, soccer created this level playing field where it, it mattered if you were, if you were good or bad at soccer and a lot of my teammates are very good. So um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you look like. And I, I remember that sentiment being echoed throughout the entirety of my, of my childhood all the way through um, senior year. <laughs> so you've talked about dad and the impact he had, and you talked about your sister. What about your mom? What was she like growing up? And yeah, you, you smiled as soon as I said that. So I'm curious to, to learn. <laughs> my mom makes me laugh. Um, I think every day this people say this all the time, but I think every day I'm becoming more and more like her. Um, she is so, uh, she is so, she's clever. She is so organized. She does so many things. Like I'll call her up and she will know, I'll ask her about taxes or I'll ask her the other day. I, I called to ask her how to register to vote because I've had to change my taxes and um, paperwork's been a mess this year, but um, she knew exactly where to send me. and. <laughs> she just, I don't, she's just a great mom and there is nothing like one of her hugs. Um, I know that she will love me no matter what, um, no matter what I do, she will always stand by my side. And that was something that, uh, maybe I took for granted when I was younger. Um, I definitely don't now. Uh, she is my number one person that I call for, for anything. And to have someone like that in, in your life is, um, it's invaluable. And I hope that she understands how much I love her and how much I, I appreciate that. You're, are you 30 years old now? How old are you? I am. I'll be 31 in September. Yeah. Well, we won't rush you. Um, as a 30 and a couple months year old, looking back on your childhood, what have you said to your dad as far as the role that he played? Like, what's the messaging to him um, looking back? I, I'm not going to put any words in there. I'm just curious, like, what's the message to him now as you sit where you sit? I think, you know, I would love to sit down with him and kind of walk through some of those things. Um, you know, just the uh, the, the extra push that he would always give me. Um, but you know, there were some things in there too, that were maybe not so healthy for a 12 year old, um, to go through. And I, you know, honestly, I, I kind of went through it myself, um, kind of had to figure out ways to, um, you know, understand or maybe not understand, but, um, I would, I would love to sit down and, you know, chat with him about what, what his thoughts are on it. You know, does he have the same memories that I do, um, on how hard he would push me and the practices that we would have. And, you know, we'd have conversations in the car 
for a while, whether it was after games or after, um, after just going up and kicking at the neighborhood field. Um, and I, I'd be curious his perspective on some of those things, um, some of those conversations and, and training sessions that we had. Um, we haven't, you know, I've been away from home for a while now and they, while they come to games, I feel like I am very, um, very locked into all aspects of my career, whether that's my preparation for the games, which involves training and all that, but also my recovery. Um, I don't do a whole lot outside of, uh, preparing myself for the next game and the, the next training session and all of that. And my family really understands that. So setting aside time, you know, whether that's in an off season or when I go home for the holidays, I think having, having those conversations with my dad would be really beneficial. Um, but I think, you know, I'm very, also very, I think the way that I met, uh, message things to him now is that I'm very grateful for where I am sitting today because he had a huge part in that. Um, and I think that's kind of, that's kind of what I say to him now. Um, because he, you know, whether it was the money or the time, um, and all of the, um, motivation that they, they gave me to continue, even when things got hard, even when I was injured or we lost big games, I think having the family support that I always did, I'm, I will be eternally grateful for that. Um, so that is honestly what I, what I always say. It, it sounds like, it sounds like there's another message there too. So it's, I'm really grateful for you pushing me and part of the reason I'm playing at this level is because of the work ethic you instilled in me and how you helped me develop as a soccer player. And it was really hard. And there were, um, I'm trying to think of the right word here. It's not consequences or repercussions or, you know, there, there were other pieces that, that came with that. Um, that's what I'm hearing from you. I, am I hearing that wrong? No, I think, I think you're hearing it right. I think um, my, I think that it's, what's tough about it is that I don't, you know, I can't remember, I can't see myself playing back then. We didn't have video and everything. Um, so when I think about a good or a bad performance and hearing that from my dad, who was fully supportive of my career and where I wanted to go, I think, um, when there were moments where things were difficult for me or I didn't maybe play as well as I should. Um, there were just times where it was like, our dad, are you my coach or are you my dad? And I think, I think he has grown to become just my dad. Obviously I've reached a level where, um, I, I know what I'm doing. Um, but back then I think instilling a, a sense of, of work ethic, um, was his main goal. And I think maybe sometimes I, I lost sight 
of that because he did act more like a coach than my dad. Um, and I think that's where I would want to try to understand from his perspective, if he was aware that, um, that did have some effect on our, our relationship. You let's, let's fast forward and imagine that you have a 12 year old daughter and you now have all this wealth of soccer knowledge and you know, playing at the highest of levels. How would you approach working or, or being a mom to a 12 year old? Um, that would be very difficult. <laughs> um, Cause there's so much knowledge that I have that I would want to pass on. But if I'm not her coach, how do I then respect her coach who maybe didn't play at the professional level? Um, I think that I would, I, I know that I would make mistakes in, in that situation. Um, what I can hope is that regardless of winning or losing or a good or bad performance, I would, would always want to remind my daughter that I love her. And I don't care if she ever steps on the soccer field again, that I will love her no matter what she does, um, simply because she is my daughter um, and I love her for who she is. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think I would, I would almost let her actions tell me how serious she wanted to be about the sport. Um, you know, is she willing to go out and run by herself or train by herself? Um, does she ask me for help? Always be willing to give her help um, and kind of be a, a mirror for her. Um, when she's that young, you know, I would want her to be playing a bunch of different sports. I know that's not really what people are uh, going towards these days, but um, I think it served me well. And I think it served a lot of my teammates well. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, there's so many facets of being a parent that I simply just do not understand yet. Um, and I would have to really educate myself before having a child. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I have a, a three-year-old and a four and a half year old and you don't know. It's not like the baby. Calls <laughs> now it's like, now I know how to do this job. There, there's no, there's no guidebook. There's people that, that specialize that you can go to for help, but no, I don't think any parent really knows what the heck they're doing. Something you realize <laughs> is when you're a kid, you look up to the parent and you're like, Oh, they know how to parent. Like there's no license. There's no anything. You just do the best. Yeah. You can. However, there's a couple things that I want to pick on. Number one, there's a great video. Um, I think it was a coach who said, you know, the number one thing to tell your child is that I love watching you play. And I've always thought that that's such a cool line to say to a kid. And I've given talks to parents at schools like you grew up playing at. And that's always what I say to them. They're like, what should I say to my kid? And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't know how to parent your kid. So I'm not going to tell you exactly what to say and how to approach them. And to your point, maybe 12 year old Tori was willing to do whatever it takes to be the best soccer player she could be. We certainly know that 15-year-old Tori decided that she didn't want to play basketball because she wanted to dedicate herself to soccer. So it's complicated. But I do love that line. I think that line is something that any parent can say to their kid, regardless, is I love watching you play. And then some kids might say, yeah, but mom, dad, 
What did you see out there? What'd you notice? How can I be better? Okay. They're asking you that's different than the parent who's just saying, you should have done this. You didn't do this. You didn't. And one of the things I do with parents at workshops is I actually have them sit down and they're pretending that they're at the dinner table and I allow the kid to then drill the parent on their work and what it's like to come home from a hard day's work and, and say to their mom or dad, how were sales today? Did you get enough sales? What, well, why, why didn't you get more sales? Mom, we'd rather have steak than uh, spam. Or, you know, like, like, like what, what's going on, right? So I think if you flip the script, it can be powerful as well. But I also think that parenting is really difficult. And then the other thing that you hit on is specialization. And, you know, I've done a lot of uh, reading and read a lot of the research on it. And to your point, uh, most of the research suggests that specialization actually isn't good up until high school. And um, so before you're 14, uh, really playing multiple sports is, is really helpful. And there's some arguments that even in high school, playing other sports can help you develop. And uh, we have become more specialized and the data around physical, like what it does to your body, uh, emotional and mental, and then actual like skill development. Um, it, it, it's interesting. And the book I'm reading right now is called Range, which sort of goes against that idea of specialization and suggests that we're better off having a range rather than a hyper-specialization. Yet, here you are, uh, given all of that, your path is your path. And so when did it become apparent that you were going to play at the division one level? Um, and, and for a lot of athletes, that division one experience is what they're searching for when they're a sophomore in high school. Um, so talk about that and what that experience was like for you. I, um, played for, um, an ODP team. I don't know if you are aware of ODP. Um, I am, but, but give us a little more context for the listeners that are not. Okay. So, um, when I was growing up, I, I played for a club team as well as when I entered high school, I played for my high school team. Um, but then there was this other, I believe at the time it was a U.S. soccer organization. Uh, it was called the Olympic development program. It was how they, um, how they, looked at a bunch of different people, a bunch of different players throughout the, throughout the country um, in order to select them for national teams. That was when I was growing up. That's since changed a little bit, um, obviously with the DA and now that's kind of gone poof um, and is a mess. But um, when I was growing up, I tried out for, there was a district level, there was a state level, a regional level, and then the national level, which would be the national team. Um, and a lot of college coaches, division one coaches also coached in the summer, which is when ODP kind of ran. Um, they would, uh, they would coach a, a state team. Um, so I had access by playing ODP and I'm sure this is the purpose of ODP, but, uh, it, enabled me to be to showcase who I was as a player in addition to me playing um, select soccer um, in kind of a different environment so I would be exposed to different players different coaches um, in different states than what my select team offered me Um, it was just another way to get exposure 
And I think that was probably, I don't remember when I started ODP, but I think even freshman year, I was already getting some interest from division one schools. Um, I don't think I ever really thought about any lower division um, because I, some of the colleges that I wanted to play for at the time, they were division one. So I was just expecting to go to one of them. Um, and I believe in sophomore year, you were able to start either getting letters or calls from the coaches, or you could call them. There were all kinds of different crazy rules, but um, once I started conversations with some of the schools I was interested in, then it was kind of like, I'm going to play division one. Um, I'm talented enough. I had a coach throughout, uh, high school. I think from the time I was maybe U 13, um, that was huge for, for my development, um, and my love for the game, uh, that was, uh, very sure of my talent and, um, he gave me a lot of confidence in, in getting to the college level. You mentioned your, your love for the game. What did you love about soccer? And, and what, maybe what was different about the ball being on your foot versus the ball being in your hand when you're playing basketball? Um, it was, I've said this before, I think, but it was equally challenging as it was I could, could do it. Even after some time, I could eventually do it. Um, and I was good at it. Um, so it provided, it provided the challenge that I need constantly. Like there was always something that I could get better at. Um, and I always wanted to get better at something. I think that that's a huge part of this is the desire to get better and not stay stagnant if you are already good, which I was, I was pretty successful even when I was little, I was fast, I was athletic. So that definitely helped me. But I think honing my skills, um, I had a desire to do that. And uh, that kind of just accelerated my game when then I had a coach that could help me um, improve, improve my soccer skills, um, which overall improved, improved my game. It's interesting. I've gone to the Major League Soccer Combine and interviewed players, and I've gone to the NBA combine and interviewed players and I've even done some work in the NHL and I often ask them like why do you play and they'll say oh I love it and I'll say well what do you love about it and I was just talking to a division one basketball coach about this the other day which is like the responses range from I was good at it I hear that a lot it's challenging which you just mentioned I want to improve I want to get better at it and I love to compete and typically if somebody just says, I'm, I was just good at it. So I just kept going and they don't have those other components of like, I love being challenged or I love growing or I love competing or I love working as part of a team. Like we're always looking for those other pieces of motivation that are more sustainable because at some level, somewhere you're going to face someone who might be better than you. And so if your identity has always been wrapped to being the best player or being good at something, well, what happens when being good is actually not working for you and you're not actually good, then you need to rely on growth, challenge, competitiveness, teamwork, whatever it might be. And so as I'm hearing you talk, it's interesting. There's an acknowledgement, Hey, I was good at it, but it was also, I love growth. I loved improvement and I love the challenge. And that's the piece to tug on. And 
that's the piece for parents to, if you want to bring out your kids best to really think about like having a kid articulate that because when we're younger, we get rewards for being good at things, whether it's an A in a class or scoring a goal or, you know, winning the spelling bee, we get pats on the back and then we get that validation and it can be addicting for a kid and just like any human and rewards are important. I'm not an everybody gets a trophy type of person. And I believe that it's important to suss out and tease out the actual drive and that internal drive and, and really define what you love about something other than being good at it. Um, so I don't know if any of that resonates with you as I go on my tangent and riff a little bit. No, for sure. Um, I think that is that was the sole purpose of my dad pushing me so hard is to create that internal drive, is to create my competitiveness. I I would have had aspects of that already because of the family that I come from. Like everyone is competitive. I am competitive when I play tic-tac-toe, which is why sometimes I need to not play tic-tac-toe. Um, and like you need to pick my moments because I, there's oftentimes I don't play games with my family because it will erupt. <laughs> it's exhausting. Um, it can be exhausting. Yeah, it is. It is. And I mean, I know that about myself. I've learned that about myself. Um, my dad definitely helped push that, that side of my personality. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think, uh, even, even today, um, or, or yesterday, even we, you know, we went through a presentation with, with my team here. And, um, one of our assistant coaches said that Tori being a seven, eight year pro in this league probably doesn't need so-and-so and so. And I'm like, well, hold on. I still can be educated. You guys can still teach me something new. There's new players in the league all the time that I'm going to have to come up against. I need those scouting reports. I need to watch film. Um, I need to dedicate myself to my craft in every aspect of it. And that alone can be exhausting. Um, so yes, I don't play card games because I am exhausted by what I do in my career, but, um, there is still always room for improvement and now, yes, having my experience, I think that is, um, that is huge. And that takes a little bit of pressure off, uh, my mind because I know that I can do things, but then you start to talk about the physical and the physical preparations that you need and the desire to continue being as fit as I can be, even though I'm the oldest one on my team by far. Um, all of that is, is super important. And that without that drive, I, I would not be sitting here, um, still playing. Uh, I, I would have, I would have lost interest, but because I'm so I think because I'm so driven to succeed in the game of soccer, I think um, it's still really fun for me. That's the enjoyable aspect of it is that there is room for improvement, even when I'm a bit older. We see plenty of athletes, especially in, in soccer, um, where the kid does burn out or quit. Maybe it's high school, maybe it's college. That even happens at the pro level. And, and by saying quit or burn out, there's all kinds of different levels to that. Um, you know, they could, at the pro level, there are some athletes that just aren't as dedicated. Um, at the college level, there are ones that certainly quit their sport. Um, did you ever have thoughts of, of quit or burnout or, or wanting to, to not keep playing? Um, 
there is definitely always a reflection that happens at the end of every season. And that probably has happened since I can remember. Um, oftentimes it is quick. Um, it's just like you asked me that question right now. Um, it can be as simple as a couple seconds. Do I want to keep playing? Yes. Um, and done. Like I'm playing the next season. Um, but then, you know, through injuries or tough coaches or a team environment that might not be great for my energy, um, that, that is where I have to sit in it a little bit longer and reflect on the reasons why I play. And, you know, is it the environment that I need to change? Is it my mindset that I need to change? Um, I think oftentimes it comes down to me changing my mindset, which is why over the last couple of years and through my experience playing, um, I think changing my mindset, being a little more grateful for the, the struggles that I have, um, because they definitely, whenever struggles happen, that's an opportunity for growth. That's how I've kind of changed that in my head. Um, I think those, those struggles are, are, while they're hard in the moment, I think um, it always comes back around to to me wanting to continue playing for as long as I can until I physically cannot. Um, I don't, I've never wanted to fully step away from the game. Um, I think there's been good timing throughout my career. You know, when I have been injured, I can look back and think, you know, maybe I wasn't in such a great headspace and maybe this injury is going to provide me with um, a break of sorts, whether it's two weeks or a month that I'm going to be out that when I'm back, I, I am ready and like raring to go again. Um, so there's been like a little bit of luck and timing involved with that too. But, um, I think overall I've never, never sat in my room and gone, I hate this game. I never want to play again. Fortunately. You mentioned that you often think about why you play. Why do you play? Why, why are you going to keep playing until your body won't let you play anymore. You know, it's just, I think while it doesn't, it doesn't define me. Um, it's not Tori Huster soccer player. I think, um, it's just something that I want to do. It's something that I really love doing. And, um, people always talk about, you know, what major do they want to do? Or do they want to, what career do they want to have? And I think I was fortunate at an early age to um, figure it out. Um, and I think soccer has provided me with a lot of life experiences. Um, it's provided me with a lot of friends, uh, built, building a lot of relationships that I otherwise wouldn't have had. Um, and I think soccer is just a, a vehicle for my life. Um, I think all of the experiences that I've had have been really good for me and I'm grateful for them. Um, I think there is nothing better than playing under the lights, playing against in the NWSL, playing against maybe a national team player and, you know, succeeding or shutting them down. Um, that competitive nature that I have, I think, makes me want to play soccer. Um, I remember growing up and soccer wasn't huge in Cincinnati yet. It is now. And I'm so proud of that. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't huge yet. And then when I kind of found a community, um, through, through my club team and with my 
with my club coach in particular, um, he kind of enlightened me to soccer being the world game. And then I was so proud that I was playing this game that people around the world do, that people in Brazil play, that people in Asia play. Um, and then you think about the Premier League and how many people watch that when it is on TV. Um, and I don't know. I think there's so many different reasons why I play. And I, I may not ever be able to articulate why that actually is, but I find so much joy for so many different reasons in the game of soccer that I can't imagine not being involved somehow. And yes, I can still play right now and I can still provide something for my team. Um, so I'm very happy to do that while I still can. Uh, but I, I just can't see a period in my life where I'm, I don't have a hand in, in, the, in the game. You mentioned shutting down a, a national team player. How close yeah. have you been to, I know you, I think you played on the under 23 team. Yeah. Uh, how close have you been to, to that level? Um, and then this is kind of a two part question. Cause when we did that call with Stu, he mentioned, I think you're the captain of your, your team, but you're playing with some of the most recognizable national team stars. Um, walk me through the the journey as far as for those that don't follow soccer playing for the national team is, is like the ultimate in soccer. Um, how close have you been? And then we're going to jump off of that a little bit uh, after you answer it. Yeah. Um, I got called up to the U 23s when I was in college. I think it was my sophomore year in college um, played with them for a couple years. And then I think it was in 20 it had to have been 20. 15 was when the world cup in Canada was, I got, I got brought in. Um, Steve Swanson was one of the assistant coaches and he dealt particularly with the midfielders. Um, and I was playing midfield at the time. And, uh, so he and Jill Ellis brought me in a couple of months before, maybe even a month before they actually chose the roster to go to the world cup. Um, I went over and played with them at a camp in France and England and we we played France and England in games over there um and then I was not selected for the roster it was going to be a long shot for me to get on that roster um but it was it was cool to see their environment um and kind of what I would need to do to to get there and stay there like it's one thing to get and to to get there and have the opportunity or be selected for a camp but it's another thing to be a staple on that team um it is very difficult and um unfortunately i that was just not part of the um the plans for me and for a number of years i kind of had to grapple grapple with that um but i think definitely in a, in a better place with that now. I think it, it just, it wasn't for me and I could affect the club here um, positively. And I kind of threw myself into that um, and that was for the best, but um, that's not to say that I, I don't wish I was on an Olympic roster or a world cup roster. That is the ultimate, um, the ultimate achievement as, as a soccer player and a female soccer player. Um, but definitely 
definitely was difficult to swallow at, at certain moments. Um, I don't, I don't also, I don't have a cap with the national team, which is something that, you know, every player kind of wants, even if they do get into a camp, there's actually for a while there, there were, there were new players coming in a lot and they were getting a cap and they were scoring as soon as they got on the field, whoever they were playing, maybe wasn't the best competition, but they were able to get their cap and get a goal, which I thought was really, that was really cool. And that would have been cool for me too. But um yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things, I think. Um, but did yeah. you, Tori, like you said, uh, so I'm just putting the piece, pieces together here. So you said, I look forward to shutting down someone that does play on that team. And yeah. you said, I, for a while, I don't know, bitter, chip on my shoulder, I'll show you. Like, how <laughs> did you handle, how did you handle it then? And And it sounds like you said, I think I came to grips with it but that was a process. So was there a fire in you to show them over a certain time and then you sort of accepted it? Like what, what was that process like? Um, that process is, it's difficult because I think for the majority of our league, um, the majority of the players in our league, they don't play for the national team. Obviously they're the national team that they are the 1% of the 1% um, if not an even smaller percentage. Um, and sometimes in my case, I think I'm very consistent when it comes to playing in the league. Um, I'm, I'm consistent. I'm have consistent performances for my club, but that always, that doesn't always translate to something that the national team might need. And I think that might be something that I can, just kind of spiraling off of this. Um, that might be something that I can share with the younger generation is that, you know, not everyone is going to make that team and you can certainly strive for that, but you can also strive to be a really consistent player because every team in the, in the NWSL needs those type of players. Um, and I think I kind of, I got to a point where being bitter or, um, you know, I don't even know, um, thinking that I should be there. I'm better than this player. Um, that wasn't helping me. Um, it wasn't helping anyone, honestly. Um, so I kind of, again, uh, my, my perspective mentally had to shift. And I think once I was able to pride myself in, in being a consistent player for a club that I've played for, for now eight years, um, I am so proud of that. And I can't say I, I wouldn't be more proud of playing Olympics because I don't have that experience, but um, I, I can go to sleep at night knowing that I um, have done something that not a lot of other players have been able to do. Um, that's kind of my process in a roundabout way, I guess. I, I worked with DC United for four years and it's not exactly the same and, the men are different than the women, but it was always interesting to see guys who would get the call to go in and train with the national team and then they come back and, and that sort of push pull and, you know, that energy that you get from being with the national team and being around the elite of your country and the competitiveness and sort of being there and then coming back and, and then playing at a, I'm going to just say a lower level. It's, it's, it's not, I don't even feel right saying that a different level um, and a different intensity to it. 
And I also found it interesting that they knew when somebody from the national team was at a game watching them and the pressure that they would feel sometimes to perform in front of that person. And so I think outsiders probably don't realize what that dynamic does, um, how it can impact a team, having people come and go and the dynamics and the team dynamics and, and what that all looks like. I found to be fascinating from a psychological perspective. And when I was at DC United, we had quite a few people that were trying to make it or on the team or, you know, mate, like sometimes they bring in like 40 people and they want the 40 people that were invited. Um, and so I had some really interesting discussions and Ben Olson, the head coach there had, experience playing at that level. So we would talk about that as well. Um, back, back to you though, you said something earlier that I want to hit on, which is game day prep. And you said, when mom and dad come, they know that I've got this routine or this preparation that I do. What do you do on game day to make sure that you're at your best when those lights are on and you're in between the lines? Game day prep. Um, I have to, gosh, it's been a long time since I've played a game. Um, but I honestly, I would still do the same thing if I had a game tomorrow. Um, I wake up and before the game, I, let's say the game is at seven before then I do everything in my power to, uh, go slow so that I can go fast when it's game time. Um, whether that involves, um, even if that involves getting out of the house, like I don't, I don't really do a whole lot of activity. I might take my dog for a walk. I might go for a walk around the, um, around the mall or something like that. I might go grab a coffee out. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of interaction with other people before the game starts. Um, and that's simply just to keep my stress levels down. Um, I might even try to zone zone out by reading a book that is probably more fiction based than educational. Um, I might, if I'm watching a show at the time, I might zone out watching a show. Um, but I do everything to kind of keep my stress levels really low. Um, I also try to eat at the right times in uh, however, whatever time the game is. Um, and honestly, like I'll eat the most bland food to make sure my stomach is okay. Um, there's just so many like little nuances that I do. Um, uh, I always, I always shower and then I'll do a, uh, I guess you could kind of call it like a meditation slash, um, what would that be called? like a muscle relaxation at the same time, a visualization um, before I leave for the game. And then even on my way to the game, I don't listen to pump up music. It's very calm music or like acoustic genre. Um, and then once I'm in the locker room, like it is not until I go out to warm up that I start to be like, here we go. Like, 30 minutes before I go out to warm up, I take some sort of caffeine and then I'm ready to go. Um, I think that is, that just keeps my mind still and occupied throughout the beginning of the day. Um, but even if, if, even if my family has come to visit, I might see them for no longer than an hour before the game. Um, that's just, again, to avoid any raise in stress level. Um, cause I'm really like trying to 
not focus on the game too soon, but trying to remember that I do have a game later and not get too sidetracked by, by other things. How about trainings? So what's your mindset typically on the day of a training? Similar, different? What's that like for you? It's a little different. And I've thought about this recently. Um, it's different because of the timing. Training is right in the morning. Um, I generally will get up enough so I don't have to rush, but I always end up rushing. Um, and I only end up rushing because I even get to training early so that when I get to training, then I can calm down again. Um, so it's similar, but different. Like I try to, uh, put myself in the best position to be calm before I step on the field. Um, I think that calmness is really important for me. Um, not only from a personal standpoint, but from then how I communicate with others. I think when things go wrong throughout the majority of my career, I think I did not always communicate to my teammates or coaches properly because I was so in the moment and like just angry, like mistakes made me angry. And I've tried to change that over the last year, especially as a leader on the team. I think it's important for me to communicate properly. And while it still might be pretty straightforward and um, sometimes I might snap, um, I think I've really tried to, to improve that, that part of my game. If that makes sense. Yeah. I asked you before we started recording, if there's anything you'd want to lean into and talk about, and you said, yeah, like, I really like talking about mental health. Uh, talk about mental health. What, what's your journey been in that regard? And, and how do you think about it? Yeah, I think, again, we'd have to shout out to, to Stu Singer here. Um, we did that at the beginning, but Stu has been instrumental in providing me um, a, a safe place to speak to someone about, you know, everyday life and, and my sport. Um, but he's also provided certain tools that um, have definitely helped me over the last few years um, in, again, everyday life, not just in my sport, um, but they have been particularly helpful in soccer as well. I think there is so much physical emphasis that we put on being able to compete that we overlook and have overlooked for years the mental um, the mental aspect of everything that we do. Um, but particularly in sport, I don't think athletes think about their men the mental side of the game uh, nearly enough. Um, and recently I've tried to share that with my teammates, um, even with friends, even with my family so that they can understand that there is a really important, um, component of my everyday preparation, my game day prep, um, that is very mental for me. I think one thing that really resonates with me is that um, is something that I've spoken to Stu about is that I have gotten to this point because of because of so and so because of blah blah blah. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean I need to get to where I want to go next with those same um, with the same behaviors. And I think uh, Stu has 
helped me see other behaviors that I can adopt that will help me, um, you know, in, in my soccer career as well. And honestly, they've made me enjoy the sport even more, um, which I, I don't know if two years ago I would have said, you know, I can enjoy soccer even more, but they, he honestly has helped me a lot with that. And that is, um, one of the main things there is just being very grateful and having a very grateful mindset. I spoke a little bit about it earlier, being grateful, even for struggle. Um, there's a lot of meaning in struggle. And I think once I adapted more to, to that mindset, I think I was able to enjoy a lot more of the everyday struggle, even if I'm in pain, even if something doesn't go right, uh, on the field, even if something doesn't go right off the field. Um, I think over the course of last year, there were a lot of things that were happening off the field that I didn't want to let happen, um, affect my on the field performance. So again, Stu was instrumental in that. And that had a lot more to do with my, with the mental side of things than anything physical. Um, and what's interesting even through this time period that we're going through, I think there's so much, um, that, you know, if something is thrown off mentally, it can affect you physically. Um, and I have seen that just in my own stress level. If I don't have it all together or a good balance, um, a good sense of balance, even I feel like physically it really takes a toll on me. I haven't really thought about it on the the flip side. If I'm physically, like physically, if I'm not doing well, then um, mentally, I'm sure it takes a toll too. But I think for me specifically, I think um, if I can get to a place where I am practicing mind, mindfulness, um, Stu calls it mental fitness, um, if I'm doing that on a consistent basis there, I, I create a bigger space for myself to endure some of those hardships, um, whatever they might look like. Um, I'm not enduring anything crazy. Um, but I think that creating that space mentally is, um, really necessary for us as athletes because I think we think about life in segments, we try to compartmentalize, but it all is just one life. And you just have one mental space and you just have one body. So I think it's important that you take care of, of both things because they affect each other a lot. And um, I just think having that balance is, is really important. And it's been really important for me in the continuation of my career. Um, it was an aspect that I wasn't really focused on at all. And once I started putting more energy into it, I, I found a lot of benefit in that. Two pieces that I just want, two threads that I want to pull on. One is this idea of what got me here is not necessarily what will get me there. And because you have a growth mindset, it opens you up for possibility to actually shift courses or shift behavior. And just like, I love this phrase up until now, just because I've always done it up until now doesn't mean that I have to do that tomorrow. And so that awareness and that realization on your part to say, hey, maybe there's a better way to do it and to be coachable and willingness to step into that space 
it leads to the opportunity to grow. And so I love that because a lot of times we think that, well, that's the way I've always done it. So I'm just going to keep doing it that way. And a lot of times that caps our ability to grow and it caps our potential. And it also doesn't allow us to see other possibilities that might exist outside of the way we've always done it. So that's one thing. And then, you know, the other really interesting thing that you're talking about is how the mental impacts the physical. And I love where you went. Maybe the physical also impacts the mental. The last person I interviewed for the podcast is a sleep doctor and she works with all the professional sports teams. And she talked about how sleep is foundational and it impacts your mental, your physical, um, your emotional, all these other aspects. And from my perspective, everything impacts everything. If you're not eating right, if your nutrition is not right, it's going to impact you mentally, physically, emotionally, your sleep. If your sleep's not right, it's going to impact how you're eating or how your physical is or how your emotional is or how your mental is, spiritual. You can go into all these different places. So for me, I think one of the mistakes we make is to think that these things are all isolated and they're not woven together. And the more that we start to think about them holistically, the more we actually recognize their power and their value. Even the analytics movement, which everyone thinks of as being this external outside thing. No, if you actually leverage the analytics right, your strategy in the game is going to be different. You're going to be thinking the game different. It can impact all those other components. So I love to think about them as like a web and they all interact with each other to dictate how consistent you can be as an athlete and your performance. And it doesn't mean you can't perform really well on low sleep or perform really well by eating cheeseburger and fries or performing really well by not doing strength training or perform really well by not doing meditation. You know, you can, you can do well because those other buckets might be really full and Mm -hmm. you might have a great game or you might get lucky or whatever, but sustainable, consistent success is about filling all those buckets as much as possible. And that's really what athletes are trying to achieve is how do I fill those buckets and have them work with each other so that I can be the best version of myself. And too often, I think mindset gets too much credit and then other times it gets not enough credit. And I'm a believer that it's not, nothing's all mental. Like I wasn't going to be a professional soccer player like you. And I don't care how great my mentality was. There were just gifts that I didn't have nature wise. And that's just the reality. Um, And so like, I love to think about how these all impact each other. And then as a performer, what am I doing on these and what's getting in the way? Maybe my sleep is not where it needs to be. I have a pro football player and he said, gosh, the thing I think I really need to work on is my sleep. Great. Let's go to work on it because perhaps that will unlock something else for him as well. So I just went on a little rant. Um, but as I'm hearing you talk, I feel like it, it's, it's so clear to me on, on that side of things. Um, coaching. So dad, dad was a coach. Grandpa was a coach. You're, you're 30 going on 31. <laughs> I'm, I'm hearing you say, gosh, I love soccer. Is soccer coaching in your future? I actually completed my C license um, with U.S. soccer in February. I think it was February when I finally got it. Um, the The league set something up with U.S. soccer where we were able to complete it for free, which was great. Um, super grateful for that experience. I kind of dipped my toe in the water a little bit there. Um, in the past, I've really only done individual sessions. I've only had time for that. Um, but actually being in and around team environments was really interesting for me. Um, definitely interested in it. I am still fully invested in playing, so I can't say like I will coach, 
Um, but there were, there were moments of me coaching where I kind of felt the same, the same levels of passion that playing soccer gives me. So I can definitely see where I would, I would go in that direction. I just think there's a whole lot that has to do with managing people. And I would, I would love to learn more, um, you know, speak to, to other coaches and then kind of get out there and, and do it myself and see if it's for me. Um, I don't really have a timeline on any of that, but it's definitely, it's definitely something that I've, I've thought about, um, maybe not as thoroughly as I need to, but, um, certainly interested. Well, you strike me as somebody who's very present and focused and likes to make sure that, uh, you're doing the best you can where you are and being where your feet are in that regard. And so I mean, that'll make sense. Tori, this has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed getting to know you better. Where can people find out what you're up to? Social media, website, any of that sort of stuff. If they want to learn more about what you're up to, where can they do that? Social media is the easiest. It's just um, at Tori Huster, T-O-R-I-H-U-S-T-E-R. Nothing, nothing crazy. Um, I'm not super crazy on social media, but, um, yeah, I mean, the NWSL is about to have the challenge cup and that's going to be on CBS. So I'll definitely be on TV as one of the first sports. I think that returns to live sports on TV. I think we're really excited about that. And that's taking place from the end of June to the end of July. Um, that should be really exciting. Um, I'm very excited to go out there with the Washington spirit, but, um, other than that, I don't have a website or anything probably should. Um, but this has been really fun and look forward to continuing the conversation. However that looks, whether it's with Stu or we do, (laughs) we do something ourselves. Um, but, uh, this has been thoroughly enjoyable. Tori, I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, Instagram, intentional underscore performers. And you can listen to all these conversations at intentionalperformers.com. It's been great to get to know you. See you soon. When this is all over, maybe we'll go get a coffee since I now know that you like some caffeine. I'm a tea drinker, but I can drink my tea at a Starbucks or wherever it needs to be. I look forward to the day where we can make that happen. So all the best to you on the Challenge Cup and uh, looking forward to watching you on CBS as well. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. If I can get to a place where I am practicing mindfulness, um, Stu calls it mental fitness. Um, If I'm doing that on a consistent basis, there I, I create a bigger space for myself to endure some of those hardships, um, whatever they might look like.